0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين يقص الحق وهو خير الفاصلين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما the sharif اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد this is the 42nd session in our series islam's greatest personalities and part 11 of the story of Prophet Musa Alayhi salam. and this will be the final part of the story of Prophet Musa Alayhi salam. from next week inshallah we'll move on to another prophet so Alhamdulillah 11, this will be 11 parts discussing the life of Musa Alayhi salam. and today we'll be speaking about the demise and his final moments of Prophet Musa Alayhi salam. Now, the books of Seerah mentioned what should I say, books of history mention that Harun alaihi salam, who was the brother of Musa alaihi salam, passed away before Musa alaihi uh, salam, one year before. So a year before Musa alaihi salam passes away, his brother Harun alaihi salam passed away. Um, now I don't know how definitive this is. Of course, we can't say with one hundred percent conviction. But there are um, indications has mentioned that Harun is buried in Jordan, in Petra. Anybody been to Petra? You've been to Petra? How far in did you go? don't remember. Okay, so if you've not been to Petra, there are many, um, you can just go onto YouTube and see um, just to understand Petra, is, it's very beautiful, very nice, and uh, it's literally a whole city um, but it's in sand color, the color of sand and you know when Quran speaks about the people of the past were carving their houses out of mountains so in Jordan from Amman I think it's probably around two and a half hours um, if I remember correctly Um, and it's quite costly to go in now as compared to years ago when I went I just a few days ago I, I heard somebody mentioning that they went very recently and it seems the prices have gone up quite a bit so they've made it into a tourist attraction but it's definitely worth seeing how people used to live and it's a massive place so the whole thing you walk in into is between like between a mountainous kind of area and it's the pathways the walls and everything it's it's sand colour it's um, so it's very pleasant to kind of see something very different uh, I, I'm sure it was in the Indiana Jones movie as well um, they showed it there those of you who remember that but um, so when you when you go in they've got all of these kind of carvings that people have done in the past and they've got tombs in some of the caves and everything so and and you need time you need time because it's it's a lengthy kind of thing they've got they've got horses and uh, kind of donkeys that you can ride on and pay an amount and they could take you further in and it probably take a few hours to actually cover the whole thing and go all the way inside Allah I've heard if you continue going all the way in and then you go up the steps right at the end and go to the top of one of the mountains there there is a grave and they say that is the cover of Prophet Harun salam, who is buried there Allah it could be um, uh, and it might not be as well but this is what's been mentioned so the key to thing mentioned here is Harun salam passed away one year before Musa now we know the life of Musa we've discussed much of the details A lot of it we couldn't discuss Because Quran mentions in so many stories So Alhamdulillah we managed to cover what we did cover But the period where Musa a.s. lived amongst the Bani Israel He was able to witness um, So it was a time when there were many other prophets in the Bani Israel Many pious people lived Many great people, rulers, kings Um, different types of people and then you've seen the Bani Israel you've got those who got you know changed into monkeys and apes and 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 swine and all these kind of things the punishments that came and it it was very eventful so many things happened and Musa got to uh, experience all of this now trying to link that it seems that before he passed away Musa performed hajj so before Musa alayhi salam actually passes away, he performed hajj. Hajj is that in Mecca. Now how, do we know, how did Musa alayhi salam is, you know, he was in Egypt, then in, you know, around the area of Jordan, and then he passes away before he reaches, uh, he didn't reach Jerusalem, we know that. That's the whole thing, but they were trying to reach Jerusalem, okay, but he wasn't able to reach there. Um, so he passed away before that. But then how do we know that he went to Mecca? And perform the Hajj. So we find a Hadith reported by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad that the Sahaba say if, from Ibn Abbas radiyallahu that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam marra bi wadi al Azraq. So he passed a valley called the Wadi of Al Azraq. It's in Makkah, on the outskirts of Makkah. So the Prophet sallallahu wasallam said to the Sahaba, "Ayyu hadha, which valley is this? What's the name of this area?" So the Sahaba said, "Hada Wadi Azraq." This is Wadi Azraq. So the Prophet said, ila Musa alayhi salam, wa huwa min wa lahu ila Allah azza wa talbiya Beautiful Hadith. When they got to that, he asked. Now you think, why would somebody ask? What's the name of this? He didn't ask about all the other locations. He specifically asked about this. What did he say? He goes, It's as if I can see Musa coming down from that hill. I can see him, and he's coming down from that hill. And in a very loud voice, very passionate voice, he's saying, "Labbaik Allahumma, Labbaik, labbaik Allah Sharikah. Because I can just see it that Musa wearing his ihram from here he came and he was doing "Labbaik" really loudly when when you're very passionately and in a, in a loud kind of voice you're giving it your all Every, all your energy is going into something and he was just blasting out the talbiyah and he was saying labaik allah and the prophet sallallahu alaihi says i can see it's as if i can see musa salam so the ulama say that before he passed away musa alayhi salam performed the hajj and the prophet sallallahu felt his presence and uh, Uh, and you know we find many stories of you know uh, the pious people even nowadays as well sometimes we find just recently I heard a story I don't remember the details but somebody was mentioning about some pious person who came to a particular village and he went to an area which was I don't know it was a shop or something like that and he said I can there's a lot of Nuraniya here a lot of spirituality a lot of noor I can sense People said like, what what's, what's he on about? A normal response, what's he on about? And they found out that this was the place where at one time maybe there was a masjid or there was a pious person buried there. Or there used to be a madrasa or some great thing happened over here. And this is what he could sense. And if pious people, then of course, what can we say about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? So this is a hadith. Andru ila Musa and it's reported by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad. So this is before he passed away. Now let's talk about his final moments. So regarding Musa Alayhi salam's final moments, his hadith is very famously known. It's in Sahih Al-Bukhari. since in Sahih Al-Bukhari. Last week we spoke about another hadith which is authentic and how people have cast a lot of doubt regarding it, regarding the stone carrying the clothes of Musa Alayhi but it is authentic you know proven so over here as well this is a sahih hadith authentic narrated by Imam Bukhari and many other hadith scholars Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, is the sahabi narrating this and he says that he heard the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam now the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is telling the sahaba the story he felt the need to tell the sahaba the story okay what did he say ursila malakul ila Musa alayhi the angel of death was sent to Musa Alayhi When the angel of death came to Musa Alayhi salam, Musa gave the angel of death a slap. Hadith mentions, سقه, He slapped him. The angel of death was given a slap by Musa Alayhi rabbihi, And then the angel of death went back to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Oh Allah, you sent me to one of your slaves. He doesn't want to die. He's just given me a slap. And he said, you know, I've come back. He doesn't want to die. Allah said to the angel of death, go back to Musa a.s. And then tell him, Put your hand on the back of an ox. You know ox? Ox? Animal. They say in uh, Urdu, Baal. Okay, uh, in Arabic we call it Thawr, Thawr, have you heard of Sufyan Thawri, Sufyan Thawri, you must have heard a pious person called Sufyan Thawri, so one day the pious men are different, pious men they are different. And the way Allah deals with them is different, like he deals with the Prophet and and the other prophets Like Musa one day when he said that he was the most knowledgeable, look what Allah did to him. He sent him to Khidr on that long journey and we spoke about it in detail. Sufyan al-Thawri was a great pious person, a scholar of hadith. One day he came into the masjid and he wasn't mindful and he entered the masjid with the left foot. Okay, I remember hearing this story on many occasions from our late respected Hazrat Hafiz Patel sahab rahmatullahi May Allah accept all of his efforts. May Allah fill his grave with Noor and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to appreciate whichever scholars and highest people that we have remaining. Not many are left, they're going very very quickly. When these people were alive, we didn't take benefit from them. Now they're gone, we just remember some of these memories. So. Uh, I remember him relating this incident so many times where once this great person, Sufyan al-Thawri, he enters into the masjid and he wasn't mindful at the time and he entered with the left foot. Now because he had a special connection with Allah, immediately he got admonished by Allah. And Allah addressed him and called him, Ya Thawr, Ya Thaw'ibail, like we say to somebody. Okay, Ya Thawr, you entering into my house, and you're unaware of his etiquettes. It's supposed to come in with a right foot. Why did, from then we say his name is Sufyan al-Sawri. Okay, the, the person of the ox. Okay, he wasn't an ox. Okay, but this is the admonishment he got and he kept it with his name because it reminded him uh, of a mistake that he made. So, the angel of death was told by Allah, go to Musa tell him, Put your hand on the back of an ox. فله بكل ما غطت به يده بكل شعرة The Hadith says that tell him that for every hair of the ox that is beneath your hand, each strand of hair. Now, how many hair do you think would be if you were to put your hand on, on an ox? Okay, for each thousands of hair, okay strands, for each hair you'll get one more year to live. One more year. You don't want to die okay you don't want to die because this is what the angel of death said you sent me to such a person who doesn't want to die well, okay that's fine tell him each hair you have one more year so let's say a thousand so one thousand more years you can live fine that's if that's what you want that's what you want <speaking in Hebrew> so Musa by this time now he's realized that this is not a person who is speaking to? Who was it? Angel of death. Did you, did you know the first time that this was the angel of death? Did Musa know the first time that this was the angel of death? No, of course he didn't. Okay, that's the slap. Okay, just thought, in my house, it gave him one. He's talking to him in a very, because he knows now who he is. Okay, so the angel of death says Allah has told me you think Allah's tell, if Allah sent somebody, Musa alayhis is going to slap. <laughs> we spoke last week. <laughs> this is the Bani Israel who used to have such corrupt ideas regarding the prophets. And he used to say blasphemous things. We don't believe that. We don't say that. Okay, so Musa alayhis salaam in the beginning it was a, a bit of a shock. Like, who's this someone i have come to take your life? What <laughs> do you mean you come to take my life? I'll take yours. Okay. And when he came and he said tell him Allah told him tell him tell him from me that you can live more oh, okay so he says oh Allah okay you're gonna give me one thousand more years to live what's gonna happen after that am I going to see this guy again okay after those years finished then you have to die there's, there's one day you have to die, whether you die now or then. So he said, Qala Because oh Allah, if it's like, that's in that case, now is the time, now is the time I'm ready to go. But he made a request. Allah, an minal he made a request and dua that, Oh Allah, I don't want to die here. I'm ready to die, but not here. Oh Allah, I want you to take my body a stone throw away from al Ardul Al-Muqaddasah, the Holy Land, the Holy Land of Baytul Maqdis, Palestine. I want you to take my body, okay? He didn't say into Jerusalem. He didn't say I want to be inside Jerusalem. He said, I want to, when you, when you throw a stone, it, 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 it's, it's a metaphor, isn't it? A stone throw away. Like round the corner, round the corner, just close by. I want you to, to take my body round the corner from Jerusalem, not too far from there. I'll die there. And that's what happened. Uh, the angels carried him, and he passed away. And then the Prophet ﷺ, whoever who's telling this story, this is not a story. The Prophet ﷺ is telling the story. It's in Sahih al-Bukhari. Then he told the Sahaba, "فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ ﷺ, فَلَوْ كُنْتُ ثَمَّ." He told the Sahaba, oh my Sahaba, if I was there." Meaning, if I, Muhammad, was there in Palestine, in this area, if I was there, I myself would be like your tour guide, and I would take you and show you the Qabar of Musa. A. He's expressing his desire that if I was there with you people, I'd love to have been there, it would have been great. I would have gone and shown you. And done ziyarat with you, and tell you this is the qabr of Musa alayhi salam. He even gave the location. He said in al Ahmar, by the red hills. So there's, there's some hills that look red in color because of the sun. Okay, al Ahmar by the roadside, and that is where the qabr of Musa salam is. And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi saying hadith of Sahih Bukhari. If I was there, I would take you and show you myself. That's one hadith. Let's look at another hadith. Uh, again Abu Huraira radiyallahu ta'ala anhu is the narrator he says Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said ja'a malakul maut ila Musa alayhi salam the angel of death came to Musa alayhi salam fa lahu ajib he said answer to your lord meaning respond to your lord like i basically said that i've come to take your life Musa فَلَطَمَ مُوسَى He slapped the uh, face of the angel of death so much so that he struck his eye and his eye came out. The eye, it was so hard that he actually popped his eye. He popped the eye of the angel of death and his eyeball came out. Okay, out of the socket. It's just popped it out. So the angel went back to Allah. Now so you've sent me to one of your slaves who doesn't want to die, and look what he's done to my eyes. Popped my eye out. Hadith says Allah returned the eye. Allah restored the eye. Back to normal again. Okay, and told him, until, okay, go back to my slave. You actually want to live? You don't like to die? You want to live, right? That's what you want. If you really want to live, put your hand on the back of an ox. whoever your hand covers in terms of strands of hair, you will live an extra year in accordance to that. Kala <laughs> said, what, what's going to happen after that? <laughs> after that you will die. <laughs> okay I choose to die now. <laughs> but oh Allah, give me death, a stone throw away from the holy land. <laughs> the Prophet sallallahu alayhi said Law he says يتكت, the of Allah, if I was there, if I was there in that place, قبره, I would personally take you as a guide, I would show you and make you do the ziyarah of the cover of Musa alayhi salam Tariq, it's by the roadside, الأحمر, by the red hills. Very descriptive. Uh, he gave detail of where Musa salam is buried. Now, these are two hadith, and it tells you now regarding this great and amazing Prophet which we've been speaking about for the last 11 sessions now, and we've come to a close and an end. But our discussion doesn't end right here, we're going to go a bit more deeper into this hadith, and understand it better. Now very similar to last week, this week's hadith also, that was a hadith again, Musan uh, we went into all of the detail, and I spoke about the objections that people have and why they have them and why they shouldn 't have them. So the same goes over here: many people who have criticisms against Islam and the hadith, this is one of those hadith which they 've picked on they 've picked out I said oh, this is a bit strange. There's something, something not right over here. What's this all about? Musa kind of slapping the angel and the eye popping out and then he's coming back. And, and they've tried to uh, make it sound like this is some kind of fairy tale. Again, picking again on Abu Huraira because he's the narrator, saying, you know, there must be an issue with him. Why is he relating these dot generations? Shouldn't be in Bukhari, so what if it's in Bukhari? All this kind of rubbish we're hearing more and more. One is from the people who are against Islam, they're finding, so number one. Number two, ex-Muslims, okay, people who believe that they were Muslims before and they've left Islam because of all these kind of things. And they're saying, oh, you know, look, and they're they're really right to circulate these kind of narrations and make people laugh and say, oh, look at this, it's just weird, isn't it strange? How can you pop the eye of an angel out and all these kind of things? And why would, you know, why would a prophet slap an angel? this kind of thing um, that they come out with. I call them, even when they were Muslims, they were self hating Muslims. They were Muslim. They were self hating Muslims. And a lot of these people who put themselves across as forward thinking, modern, with these kind of views, they're just self hating Muslims. It seems like they hate everything about Islam. They want to, it's like, create a new religion. Anything that's Islam. They don't agree with it. They find a problem with it. They want to twist it, change it, modify it, and kind of just make it look like that. That's not right. It shouldn't be done anymore. It shouldn't be done in that way. And they want to try and present a new way of doing it. Okay, fasting shouldn't be from dawn till dusk. It should be done from you know wherever you are living, whenever sunrise happens, according to like, these kind of very strange views. Like uh, our Jawed Bisab from Pakistan is always you know introducing and has a large following. Okay, sounds, might sound good, but Islam is not about sounding good, is it? Okay, it's not about sounding good, you have to do what's right, what's in the tradition. Just because you feel or you don't, it, you don't understand it, it doesn't give you the license to twist and change and, you know, otherwise someone's going to say, oh, we shouldn't have five salas, let's have three salat, Okay, because our lifestyle is different, or let's change this to this. You can't just go around changing the religion like that, according to your whims and desires. So, one is people who are out of Islam, but then even within Islam, some of the kind of modernists, or we, sometimes people like to call them the intellectuals, okay? Certain scholars, even they have commented um, some very um, not suitable comments when it's come to hadith like this, which is in Bukhari. So we're just going to try and understand them, so that we understand our principles, we understand how to deal with these kind of narrations and these kind of questions or objections that would ever arise because this is not an isolated case. Somebody could bring this about anything. And if you're well equipped and you understand how to view other as a Muslim, what is our duty and responsibility? Yeah, it might sound strange to you as well. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, how can you pop out and, and I am an angel? Um, why would Musa islam do that? So we'll, we'll go into that in, in a moment. So, so one is those people who are against Islam. And then you've got some, for example, there is a, an Egyptian scholar who's passed away, rahmatullahi alayhi. Um, so he was an Egyptian scholar. He was looked at as someone who was more kind of a modernist, forward thinking. So um, he, what happened with him was so he he's mentioned somewhere that I was once traveling in Algeria. And a student asked me a question. So he was lecturing. And a student asked me a question and said is it correct that Musa you know busted the eye of the angel of death when he came to take his life so he asked me this question so the sheikh is saying that I started to answer the question but I started feeling very uncomfortable inside which he should have because it's a Hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari but the sheikh himself is saying I started feeling a bit you know like Hang on. He started giving a bit of credit thinking, this topic is, it doesn't make us look good. How we're going to answer to everybody. We need to kind of have a different approach to this. So he said, I said to the student, what benefit do you get out of this hadith? What's this hadith like? What benefit do you get out of the hadith? It's not connected to your aqidah. When you go in the grave, you're not going to get asked, did you believe in the hadith? where Musa salam, you know, popped out the eye of the angel. Basically, he's telling him telling just like, forget about it. Don't bother with it, there's no benefit for you. What benefit is there for you in this hadith? So this is the answer he gave, and he told him that go and, go and study and busy yourselves in things that actually matter. This is not something for you to question about, and you know, no benefit in there for you. Nothing to do with aqeedah. And you should be studying more serious things. Now then the Sheikh goes on to say that after I finished that program I said to myself that you know what Uh, I need to look into this that I felt a bit uncomfortable on the stage when he came to discussing this so he looked into and he thought to himself well, the Hadith is in Bukhari but it doesn't make sense to me the Hadith is correct the narration is correct, the chain is fine, but the actual topic that is discussed, being discussed, it, he goes, I started getting doubts about this. And he says that the, the conclusion I came up with, that it seems that Musa disliked death. Musa alayhis didn't want to die, and he didn't want to meet Allah uh, after he died. And that's not possible, how can a prophet not want to meet Allah? Um, we don't even accept that for the pious people. So how can we accept that for the prophet? So he said, disliking death, he goes, now that's strange. A prophet can never dislike death. And how can? And also, he goes, how can you kind of um, inflict an angel? Angels are angels. How can you inflict an angel? Like, and in such a bad way as well that like you pop the eye out. So, and he goes, these are things that we link to human beings. That was an angel that came. Angels are very powerful, strong. If they come all the way from the heavens, right, going through all the layers, and nothing happened, okay, I and mean, all oh, this all makes sense, is not it? Sound very rosy. Sound very good. Um. So all of this, he he kind of these are the kind of answers. This particular sheikh, I'm not going to mention his name. There's no benefit in that. But I'm just saying that this is a kind of a forward-thinking modernist scholar, Egyptian well-rated people looked up to him and this is he's giving you his own scenario I'm just going through his thought process when he came to this hadith when he was questioned and then he went on to you know the scholars of Islam have answered a lot of these um, objections and he commented by saying that most of the the answers um, given by the scholars of Islam he said that they are weak, they're very flimsy and they're like it's a straw argument. It doesn't really you know, it, it, he goes it doesn't really have any value and it seems like the people who hold these opinions regarding this hadith are very shallow in their knowledge and have very low intellect. So this is his conclusion. Now when he mentioned this and he wrote this, many scholars from around the world They responded to him and they wrote him and they disagreed with him said this is you've you've taken a stance against a Hadith of Sahih Bukhari and you've put it out there it doesn't really stop you know we don't see it like that so from all of the responses one of the best responses given was by a sheikh which we probably all heard the name of now sheikh Salman al Ouda. have you heard of sheikh Salman al Ouda? no sheikh Salman al Ouda currently He's in the prisons of Saudi Arabia um, for a long time. Very nice, humble, active Da'i he was, a very good scholar, very, you could call him an influencer. Um, And he was an active Da'i, very popular on, on YouTube and social media. He would make short, short clips, very motivational, very good, very nice. His approach was very unique and a massive following throughout the world for people of all ages. Um, He studied in Saudi Arabia. He was, you know, one of the Saudi scholars and very active in all fields, youngsters, everybody loved him. And he was releasing these, you know, small, small clips. He'd be walking around, recording somewhere in his house, sometimes with the kids, very pleasant. And so many people benefited. And he just made one tweet. One tweet he put up regarding May Allah unite the people of Saudi and the people of Qatar. That, that was it. That's, he just put one tweet up. And since that day, he's been in prison. And he's been denied access to family. He's been denied access. His health is very bad at the moment. He's in a very difficult condition. And after that, hundreds of scholars have been put into the Saudi prisons. He's one of them, a very well known, very well respected. He didn't ever say anything out of turn. He wasn't political in that sense. That one tweet, he didn't even mention anything like, there was no indirect, you know, he just said, may Allah unite the hearts. That's all he said and that ended up in the prison. And we make dua, Allah grants him release, and the hundreds and thousands of other innocent people in prisons, whether it be in Saudi, whether it be anywhere else in the world, May Allah release them. You know, we go a lot about our lives and we kind of don't even think about these people who are, In, only one if someone's committed a crime and it's justifiable that they're paying a penalty for the crime they're committing. But these are totally innocent individuals, pious, great people, okay? And the only crime of theirs is that they're good. That's it, they're good. They're good people. And for them being good people, okay, they're in prison. Uh, and that's it they don't want people who are good who people who speak the truth and are honest um, so we should remember them pray for them in our duas Allah releases them and Allah makes a way out for them imagine what their families are going through imagine what they are going through um, and having no access no support whatsoever in Palestine just now you might be hearing about certain individuals who have been char- who are on, who have been detained without any trial So they call it the administrative detention. There's no trial against them. They've not been charged for anything, but they're holding them. Okay, you want to hold me? Tell me what I've done wrong. No, put me on trial, send me to the court. I'll go through a trial. No, but they still want to hold you. So many of them go on hunger strike. They go on hunger strike. So that some of them go more than 100 days. There's one guy at the moment, Hisham something his name is, he's been on a hunger strike for more than 100 and something days. And now his blood has become poisoned as well. He's very, very, he's on the verge of death. Very close to death. And even that has still not softened the heart of the occupation to release him uh, and to say, look, we'll let you go home. But he's just fighting for his right. You you want to put me in prison? Okay, what have I done wrong? Just tell me, that's all. Put me on trial, charge me for something. Even if he's wrong, charge me. But no, they're saying no, because they don't have anything. So, these, so he was one of the scholars, Sheikh Salman Al Ouda, who responded to this Sheikh, Egyptian Sheikh, um, very nicely. So I'm going to share with you his response, and he said, "No, I don't agree with you, and why?" Okay, so this is his response, and it, 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 you know it's a very beautiful response. So number one, he says, "The Hadith of Abu Huraira, the one that we spoke about, Musa alayhi uh, salam passing away. In the story, he says the Hadith of Abu Huraira, radiyallahu anhu." In the story that speaks about the angel of death coming to Musa alaihissalam, first of all he says it's been reported by Imam al-Bukhari, Imam Muslim, Imam Ahmad, Ibn Khuzaima and many other scholars of hadith. So that's number one. Many great scholars of authentic books of hadith have narrated this. And the scholar who said to the student that there's no benefit for you in this Okay, so remember he said, there's no benefit, what benefit is there in you, for you in this hadith? This, the scholar says, Shaykh Salman says, I say, there are many benefits in the hadith. And then he goes on to list the benefits. You are saying there's no benefit in the hadith? There are many benefits in the hadith. Some of the benefits, he says, number one, the greatest test for human beings in this world is the test of iman bil ghaib Believing in the unseen isn't it that's a whole test. That's why it's a test Believe. We, this is the challenge that we have to come in the world and we have to believe in what we can't see Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made some of his greatest of believers of believers and he's tested them even more in this aspect of believing in the unseen and this particular hadith like many others is one of those aspects of believing in the unseen isn't it okay where he speaks about uh, for example the angel of death he speaks about um, a story that happened in the past Musa we didn't see it but the Prophet is narrating this to us and we should believe in, in it and it's speaking about death in itself and also it connects us to the people of the past the prophets the Anbiya and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, did he never tell the Sahaba stories of the people of the past? He did. Are we going to say all of them, there's no benefit in all of them? Don't ever speak about any of the stories of the past. Even though the Prophet Sallallahu thought it was beneficial and he told the Sahaba, because there's no benefit in it for you. He just dismissed it, didn't he? If you think about it. He wasn't comfortable himself. So he just told the student, there's no benefit in this Hadith for you. Go and focus on, on greater things. So, this is one of the answers he gave. Uh, so he said, you an- this, is, this is answering your question is, what's the benefit? He says there's a lot of benefit. Number one, it's from an authentic book. Number two, it speaks about one of the most important things for Muslims is Iman Haib. And number three, the Prophet discussed stories of the people of the past on so many occasions. They were all beneficial. He never spoke about anything that was not beneficial. Um, and similarly, another benefit he says that was one aspect of it. Some more benefits he says another thing we learn is we learn about the temperament of human beings. This is a human being. How can we understand? He says, especially when it's to do with a prophet. Because at the end of the day, a prophet, no matter how great they are, they're human beings. And he says that we can learn so many great things about human nature, human temperament, human psychology, human behavior. Like the way Musa behaved, the way he responded. At the end of the day, he's a human being. So many things to learn there. He goes, in addition to that, there are many fiqhi and juristic rulings and masail that ulama and the ahlul ilm have taken from this. For example, المقدسة, The virtue of dying in the Holy Land. It's a we learn. If it wasn't special to die in a holy place, why would Musa request it? Okay? Don't we have the hadith of the Prophet the Prophet has said, he's encouraged, whoever has the ability to die in Medina, you should try and die in Medina. This hadith. The Prophet has actually encouraged, if you can, if you can't do this, and that's why we see that so many of the pious people, they try to spend their end of their life in Madina Munawwara. The shaykh we hear regarding him, Muhammad Zakariya, that when he felt that he was about to leave the world and pass away, he said, I've decided, he used to visit the Haramain very regularly. He came to Madinah Munawwara, he decided to stay there. Same with before him. The Amir of Dawah and Tabligh, Hazrat Maulana Ilyas sahab, he went to Medina Munawari and he decided he's going to stay there. It's only when he went to the rawdah of the Prophet wa sallam, and he said As-salatu alayka ya Rasulullah, and the Prophet wa sallam, told him, "Go to, go back to India. Allah is going to take work from you." And he was confused and he told the scholars that, "I want to stay in Medina. I want to stay by the Prophet wa I want to die here." But the and I'm so weak, I'm old, I'm weak, I've got a stuttering problem, what am I going to do? And the scholars told him that the Prophet didn't say to you that you have to go and do the work. The Prophet said that work will be taken from you, meaning Allah will take the work from you. And thus Mawlana went to India Okay, started off the work of Dawan Tabligh, and now throughout the world, Alhamdulillah, we have so many jamaats going on, so much good happening, and these masjids, these madrasas, these musallis—all that we see, I'd say 99.9% is because of the work that's happened. We don't, we might, you might not see. You know, when we when we used to go in jamaat, they used to give this example um, of scales. You know, nowadays with this, it's all digital now, but. You know scale? Some of us probably not even see the real scale. So on one side you put the weight, okay? So you put the weight on one side, on the other side you put apples in. So you put one apple, nothing happens. Put Two apples, nothing happens. Three, nothing happens. You put four, nothing happens. When you put the fifth one, then it starts going down. And you put the sixth one and the thing, whole thing goes down. Right? They used to tell us when we were young, that if that sixth apple says, I'm the one who made it go down is it true no if it wasn't for the apples before would it go down no so all of this that we're seeing around it's all of this effort starting from maulana Ilyas sahab rahmatullah going on to people like hudha hafiz patel sahab and all of the effort that went behind in the early days now we're seeing everything flourish um if it wasn't for the beautiful work i wouldn't be sitting here now i wouldn't have gone on to study that's where I got my interest to go and study. and I won't be on the only one. There'll be many, many, many other people. The ins- for example, the institute where I studied, the, the principal and the head, Yusuf Mutala sahabu rahmatullah alayhi, may Allah fill his grave with noor. Even he was associated with this work. Okay, and even he spent time. Uh, and so, you see how inspirational this is. So, what were we talking about? I've gone off somewhere else. How, how did we get here? Let's, let's see who's listening. Medina. So, Mawlani rahmatullahi went there and he was told that go and the work will be taken from you. sheik the Shaykh also is one of those scholars who decided, that's it, I'm gonna stay in Medina now. Uh, and even he was told, given a similar message as well from the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam. Idhab al-hind. Go back to India. When your time comes, we'll call you here again. When your time comes, you'll, you'll come back. Don't worry. And eventually he did pass away in Medina Munawwara and is buried in Jens So the scholar is saying there are so many benefits in this hadith. One of them is a mas'alah we learn about the virtue of dying in a holy place. Just like it's virtuous to die in Medina, Musa is a prophet, he knows that it's a holy land, so he's asking. So, just like it's virtuous to die in Medina, it's also virtuous to die in Palestine. And this is we learn this from Musa, Sahih al Bukhari. So, he's telling the scholar, You're saying there's no fayda there's no benefit. Look, there's so many benefits, okay? Well, he's listing them down. And then he says, Another benefit we learn, Himayatul Anbiya, the bi Tawheed. He says, Tawheed, we learn from this hadith, Tawheed. How can we learn Tawheed from this Hadith? The way we learn Tawheed from this Hadith is when Musa said that I want to die stone throw away from the Holy Land in that he basically said he didn't say he wants to die in Jerusalem. If he died in Jerusalem, what would happen? Everybody would know where he's buried. So he he said, I want to die anywhere, stone throw away. So in an unknown location, This is Tawheed. So that nobody comes afterwards and worships at the grave. Nobody comes at the grave and does X, Y, and Z. So you can learn Tawheed from this hadith as well. The Anbiya Even after they passed away, they were focused on Tawheed. That nobody should come and be able to find where I'm buried and then do X, Y, and Z. So he said, and and, and the Bani Israel didn't know where he was buried. So that was answering in terms of the fa'idah. You know when he said there's no benefit, he said, look, I can list you so many benefits. Are these beneficial? Of course they are. Number two, he says, if, if the scholar is surprised that why did Musa salam dislike death? A prophet can't dislike death. And he found that strange. So, Shaykh Salman Al-Awda is saying, I say, Musa salam disliking death is nothing strange. It shouldn't be anything strange, because disliking death is very normal for any human being, even a prophet. It's very natural and normal. It's nothing bad. We kind of think, oh, you know, you can't, you're not allowed to dislike death. It's a very normal and a natural thing. We learned this from the hadith, and Sheikh mentions the hadith. This is a hadith uh, that from Aisha radiyallahu anha. An abu Huraira, and it's an authentic narration the prophet sallallahu wasallam says Man allah, whoever loves to meet allah allah loves to meet them allah, whoever dislikes to meet allah allah dislikes to meet them now when the prophet sallallahu said this sahaba started talking amongst themselves they were human beings this is the most beautiful thing about sahaba there was no fakeness, no pretending. They were just, they were just very raw. Just, they didn't make things up and cover things up like we do. If they felt a certain way, they just said it. And this is the beauty of it, and that's why we learn. Straight away they said, "Ya O Prophet of Allah, you've just said, whoever loves to meet Allah, Allah loves to meet them. Whoever dislikes to meet Allah, Allah dislikes to meet, whoever dislikes to meet Allah, Allah will dislike to Sabast oh Prophet of Allah, we hate the idea of death, like we dislike death. It's a natural thing. Why, why pretend and say you don't? Who wants to die? You want to die now? No, <laughs> okay. It's true. And even the Sahaba, the best of people, nobody actually wants to die. Yeah, wanting to meet Allah is different. Nobody, no Muslim hates to meet Allah. Nobody's gonna hate to know. So he separated the two things. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, akarahiyatul like, What about this? You've just told us, we're a bit worried now. You've just said, whoever dislikes to meet Allah, Allah dislikes to meet them. Is that the same as disliking death? Because we don't necessarily dislike to meet Allah. And then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi said, فَقُلُّنَا yakrahul maut Sorry, the Sahaba said, فَقُلُّنَا yakrahul maut Sahaba said, Oh, oh Prophet of Allah, we all dislike death. All of us do. Nobody loves the idea of death. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi responded, No, 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 no. You've got it mixed up. It's not like that. It's perfectly understandable. To dislike death, that's a human trait. al-mu'min. This is what I'm talking about is different. It's a believer, When a believer hears about the mercy of Allah, about the Jannah, about Allah's blessings, about Allah's pleasure, and how amazing it's going to be, you start desiring to meet Allah. So that dislike for death becomes slightly decreased. So the death part comes out of it. You kind of... Overstep that, that's still there, but what you focus more on is meeting Allah, and then Allah loves to meet you as well. And A kafir, when he's told about Jahannam, the anger of Allah, and the punishment of Allah, he doesn't want to meet Allah. Okay, so Allah doesn't like to meet him. This is what it means. It doesn't mean about people disliking death, because that's something that every human dislikes death, and so we can see the Sahaba they're very clear. So there's no nothing strange. That scholar was saying, "Or oh, how can Musa you know, dislike it?" It's nothing strange. He's a human being, and nobody wants to just all randomly just die all of a sudden. Yes, that doesn't mean he didn't want to meet Allah. Two separate things altogether. So number one, then he goes on to mention the, uh, the impairment in the eye of the angel of death. Because that scholar made an issue out of that. How can an angel get injured? And he found that very strange and that caused him doubt. And he changed his whole response. So he responded, Shaykh Salman Al-Uda is saying that the response to that is that this injury was a very superficial injury. It's a very superficial injury because when an angel comes down onto earth, the angel doesn't come in the original form. The angel came in a human form. So when it came in the human form, when Musa hit the human form of the angel, it wasn't the angel that was hurt. It wasn't the angel that was impaired. It wasn't the eyesight of the angel that was affected. It was that superficial, the form okay, of the eye. Of the angel it wasn't the angels eye per se the angel didn't become blind it was the form that the angel adopted that wasn't the actual angel's original form so if if, if he's not thought like that and he's just thinking of it as you know as literally as you see it that's why he's going you come to the wrong conclusion so he's saying that this is just the form he came in because he came in a human form And if he did not come in the original angelic form in which Allah created him, and angels are always going to remain in the service of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala until they die, and when they die they will die. Only Allah is going to remain. So that answers that question as well. So if you think, "Oh, how can you, you know, blind an angel?" No, he didn't. It was the form in which he came. And uh, he answers another. Um, objection of his when he says that the scholars of the past they gave very weak arguments, their response were very weak, very flimsy kind of arguments. Um, Now that's not a good way to respond because in reality these responses were given by great great scholars and you can disagree with them but you can't Speak in regards to them in such a condescending way that they had very low intellect, a very shallow, no understanding, and trying to. Nowadays, we find this a lot. Now, some scholars nowadays they're coming out with things as if they're saying that only they understand it, and the people of the past they didn't get it. Everyone for fourteen hundred years they all got it wrong. They were all wrong. Only I am right. Uh, how how does that even make sense? And they said great, 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 great people. The Islam has come. Yeah, you can disagree with some of their opinions. You might have an opinion, that's fine. But you can't. So he's basically said that they've got flimsy arguments. How can people, if they're of that kind of stature, how can they come out with such shallow argument? That language is not nice. It's very condescending. And the Sheikh Salman is saying that it's necessary that you show respect. Show them respect. You can disagree as much as you want. Okay, that's fine. Okay, even, we, even a lay person might think, oh, that, that sounds brilliant, but you have to respect him as a great scholar of Islam. And similarly, when he has said that they have a um, very low kind of intellect, a very shallow understanding, remember, these are great, great people. Um, and, you know, what are you going to Imam Bukhari was a person of low intellect because he, he bought this in his book. You know, Bukhari placed this hadith in his book what are you going to say inevitably that's what's happened if we open this door of just giving these comments and, it, and it's be, people are not realizing people are not realizing that when people make these comments people are not thinking they're just thinking of the one scholar they've got in front of them you're saying this about everybody when people say things about for example takleed, for example and they make that into a big thing that you shouldn't follow an imam, okay? Now, you know, some of the greatest scholars who even you believe in, they did taqlid, for example, they followed an imam, they followed a madhab, okay? So, sometimes we make comments where we don't think. Like, you're following certain scholars, great scholars that like they were muqallid, they, they did taqlid as well. But people don't think far enough and they just make these comments. So, well, this is one example I gave, um, there's many other examples we can give. So what we're going to say, are you going to say Imam Bukhari had a very shallow kind of intellect. Why? Because he placed this hadith in his book. You're trying to say that he didn't have a good understanding. In a way, you're saying you're better than he was. Okay, you know better. Um, similarly, you have other great scholars as well. Imam Muslim, Imam Ahmad, Imam Al-Masa'i, Ibn Khuzayma. All of these are people who have placed this hadith in their book. So you're directly challenging all of them and also those scholars who've narrated this hadith, including Sayyiduna Abu Huraira, anhu. Um So, and, 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 and then who's a scholar then? Who remains as a scholar? If you blacklisted all of these people, who's a true scholar then? Just you? Only? And nobody else? So this is what's happening. And I feel it's very important that we discuss these topics now Because it's happening more and more and more. As with social media, you've got new new people coming on the screen and this kind of thing to try and get people on their side. They're trying to, they're trying to disconnect you with your past, with your legacy, with your ulama, with your books and saying, no, that was all wrong. They got it all wrong. I've got the right answer. And it sounds good. Look, even when we started and I started telling the arguments, a lot of you were nodding your heads and thinking, yeah, yeah, how can this happen? How can you break, you know, pop out the eye of an angel. It doesn't sound quite right. Last week, we spoke about the stone running away with the clothes. When you, li- when you listen to it with that angle, it does sound a bit, you know, different to what we're used to. But at the end of the day, you have to be open-minded. It's in the Quran, it's in the Sunnah. It's been authenticated. And all the thorough checks have taken place. We have to look at it from an angle of, first of all, I believe in this. It's in our scripture. I believe in it. Now, yeah, you can try to understand it. You can ask questions. You can be cute. But what about this? How about this? You can ask questions. Our religion isn't closed. It's not as if you can't ask any. You can ask any question you want. It's open. But first of all, ask the question with an open mind, positive mind. Don't make your mind up already that you, I don't believe in this. And then you're asking the questions. And you you know, if, if you try to fill this bottle now, Okay, this is the top. I try to fill this up will anything go inside no this is, Allah, this is what we do we close our minds okay and then we've got questions you can argue and argue and argue and do hundreds of debates on YouTube and you can even go on to Hyde Park corner as well and shout as loud as you want nothing's going to happen you have to first of all open your mind you say I believe because it's in the Quran sunnah the ulama I believe and then you have to let yourself, let it, listen to the answers, let it come in, and let it fill up in your heart. Then you make a decision. Once it's inside, okay, then you taste it, you experience it, and then you can understand it better. So, this is um, the answers that he gave. Moving on, uh, so I've spoke to you about the angel, I've spoke to you about the scholars, and... Uh, okay so this was his answer there's a few more things he said he's spoken about um, he's spoken about people who are like um, uh, who are atheists or people who are just anti-religion and they've kind of attacked this hadith and you know when he's told that person that it's got nothing to do with your belief so he's he's making a very big deal out of it as if what he's implying What he's implying is this hadith got nothing to do with iman and kufr and almost saying that if you do believe in it it's going to impact your belief like it's wrong to even believe in it Uh, but it's not like that he's he's made it into a very big kind of thing uh, where anybody that believes in it he's kind of blaming them for having a very shallow intellect any so it's like and, and you find this, people who believe in this, or anyone that believes in the miracle of the prophets, okay? And you find that in Birmingham it's quite rife, you, you'd be surprised. You've got this group of people who are kind of doing this where anybody that believes in things like the prophetic miracles, the stories of the prophets where things like this have happened, people are laughing and joking at them, okay? And, and, and as if they, 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 be, they say that, you know, you, list, you believe all these fairy tales and they call it nonsense, and naud billahi min Whereas it's clearly established from the sharia and from the sunnah. Um, so it's important to understand this. I conclude by mentioning what Ibn Hibban has mentioned. Uh, it is a scholar of hadith. He has a compilation as well. Um, he, his compilation is also known as Sahih. So he, the books, the hadith that he has in there are known as authentic narrations. You might hear Sahih Ibn Hibban. His conditions might not be as stringent as Bukhari and Muslim, but it is known as a compilation of Sahih as well. Um, So, what has he said? He says this, commenting on this hadith. He says, this hadith is from those narrations which should be accepted, and anybody that has not been deprived of the tawfiq and the ability to accept the truth only they will accept it so he's saying if you've been given and endowed by Allah with the tawfiq and the ability to accept the truth they will accept the meaning of this hadith this is because he says Allah sent the angel of death to Musa and this is his take on it he said this was a test this was a test and he was sent to Musa and to test. It wasn't a command. It wasn't a command to Musa like die now. Just like Ibrahim alayhi salam was being tested when he was told to slaughter his son. Allah didn't tell him directly that slaughter your son. He saw a dream and it was a test. Now either he fulfilled the test or he didn't. There was no command there which he was breaking by him doing it or not doing it. Okay, it was more of an ikhtibar and a test. This is Ibn Hibban is saying. So similarly over here, this was a test. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the angel in a manner in which the Musa didn't recognize him. He didn't recognize him. Just like, for example, when Ibrahim Alayhi was with his wife Sarah and he was in the house. And the angels came in the house. Well, Quran says, the angels came in the house. Musa didn't recognize them. Musa, oh, so Ibrahim didn't recognize them. He said, Ala will you not eat some food? And they didn't eat. They didn't eat and Musa Ibrahim got a bit scared. Okay, you might think, how can a prophet get scared? Quran says Okay, he, he, he actually felt fear inside him because he thought this is a bit strange that humans don't normally do this is just staring at me okay they just blank me I said will you not eat um, and they said no we don't want to eat um, so that was one example even the Prophet ﷺ, we've all heard of the hadith of Jibreel okay the lengthy hadith in Sahih Muslim where Jibreel comes in the form of a human being wearing extremely white clothes dark black hair and he sits in the tashahud position next to the Prophet ﷺ, and he touches his knees okay and he came as a person Nobody recognized him he asked him questions. Tell me about Islam, tell me about Iman, tell me about Ihsan. He didn't know who it, the Prophet didn't know who it was until he actually left. And that's when he told Omar, Ya Omar, did you know who that was? He said, No, Allahu A Rasul He said, It was Jibreel. He came to teach you a religion. That was Jibreel. When he initially came, the Prophet wasn't aware. So, just like the prophet didn't know that was jibreel ibrahim wa didn't know that those were angels who came to his house to give the news of the destruction of salam's people and that his wife is going to have a baby they told him after he found that afterwards once he started speaking initially he didn't know in the same way ibn hibban rahimahullah, is saying musa salam didn't know that was the angel of death A human being just appeared in his house so when he came in a human form, we know that Musa alaihissalam was very ghayur. Ghayur means a person who has a lot of ghira, sense of honor, like my things, my people, okay, my family. My, don't look at my wife, like this is my daughter, don't, you know, I don't want anyone touching, going anywhere near, you're, you're quite overprotective. This is a, a believer is like that. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, there was an incident on ghira I remembered. A Sahabi asked a very serious question. He said, what if I come, one day I come home, and I see another man sleeping with my wife, a like, serious question. Eh, sahaba asked these kind of things. Because if I come home and I see a man is having intimacy with my wife, because, I, because that my ghairah wouldn't, I would go and kill that man, I'd just do it. And the Prophet ﷺ spoke about the ghayrah and the sense of honor of this Sahabi. And he said like, you've got this sense of honor, because my sense of honor is even greater and Allah's sense of honor is even greater. He said, if you feel like that, if I feel more than that, imagine how Allah feels when he sees his slaves committing zina or doing crimes. If you as a human feel like this and you have this ghaira inside you. Anyway, if I remember this from the word. So Musa was a person who had a sense of honor, sense of self-respect. He demanded that. When he saw somebody randomly just inside his house, Who's this? What? You, you come to kill me, right? So he just, he just gave him a slap. At that time, it was a bit of a shock and it was a surprise to see who it was. So he gave him a slap, as a result of which the form, human form which Allah had given, not the original angel form, that got injured and that eyeball came out. Not the actual form in which he was created. Now in our Sharia, I, I, I like the way he's mentioned, in our Sharia, the hadith mentions, if you're in your house, and somebody is going from outside and through the keyhole, they try to look in your house or they open the letterbox and they're looking inside into your house or they're peeping through the window and you find out that somebody is peeping into your house and if you go and get your finger or pencil or something and you poke, you poke their eye, that's allowed. You will not be responsible. You don't have to pay anything for this. There's no eye for our eye over here. You've got full right to do that. They should, The whole because the Prophet said, the whole idea of taking permission to enter into someone's house is to look. The whole idea is looking. Nothing else. What else is there? What else do we do in our house? Okay, that's the whole idea of privacy. So nobody can see you. But he's, he's broken that already without taking permission. He's done that thing which you need permission for. So you can pop the eye out. Forget looking into the house, this angel who was a came in the form of he actually came into the house. So Musa A.S., popping the eye. Does it make sense? Ibn Hibbani is telling us that Musa doing this he didn't intend to pop his eye out, that wasn't the intention. But even if he did, there'd be absolutely nothing wrong with it because he's got the full right, because he appeared in his house without permission. This is in our Sharia as well. And then we understand from here, carrying on, so his action would be perfectly fine, justifiable. When the angel of death went back to Musa to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and told Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what happened, Now, this was the test the first part was the test to see that Musa recognized not recognized. Now, Allah sends the angel of death and tells him, inform Musa that Allah has said this. Now, the second time when the angel of death came, did Musa do any of this? No, because now he knew who is it? It's the angel of death because Allah sent a message. The first time was a test to see, does he recognize or not? When Musa knew that that was the angel of death and that he came with a message from Allah, he, he was ready to die. He, it's very clear. Can you, can you see the karahiyatul, the dislike for death, if it was truly as they're making it out, why would Musa go along with it? He, he was given a thousand years or so to live. But he chose to die. So it shows you that this, what they're saying, is totally baseless. There was not dislike even even the fact that even the idea of disliking death okay which is fine even that's not accurate because he said yes I'm happy to die now and he did and Allah took his life so this is what Ibn Hibban is saying and so this is where he ends Imam al-Nawawi Rahimahullah, he Mentions that some of the scholars have said that how can how can it be permissible for Musa to pop out the eye of the angel of death? So some of the scholars of hadith have given some answers and these are the answers which I was saying that some of the Scholar in particular the modernist scholar said that a very shallow one. Um, so you can disagree with them But the comments are quite condescending um, so one of them one of the answers given by the scholars of hadith is Um, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given Musa permission to hit the angel of death, and that this test was a test for the actual angel and not of Musa to see how the angel would respond. And Allah can test whoever He wants. So this is one one amount. now. Somebody can a scholar can disagree with this interpretation, that doesn't mean you just knock them and say they're very shallow. Um, Another um, interpretation given is some of the scholars have said that this was, it's, it's a, it was a metaphor. Do you know when you have an argument or you have a debate with somebody and you say, oh, I knocked him for a six. Did you physically punch that person? Okay. Okay. I KO'd him. He was KO'd. Okay. Was that person KO'd? No. I knocked him out. Did you knock them out? No. You didn't knock them out. You won the argument. So some scholars have said, although this is weak, we understand it's weak because the hadith goes on to mention that Allah returned the eye. Okay, so there was a loss of an eye and Allah returned the eye. But this is an interpretation some scholars have given. You might not agree with the interpretation, but you can't just knock down hundreds of years of scholarship, okay, just because of a disagreement that you have. Um, This is what the main point is. And the third one which we just discussed the scholars of Hadith have mentioned that Musa al wasn't aware that that was the angel of death He thought it was a person who just came and wanted to kill him. So he defended himself and As a result of defending himself the eye popped out and he didn't intend to do it And the reason we understand is the Hadith is he slapped him. He didn't like poke him. Okay, he slapped him And uh, Ibn Khuzaymah and others have given this answer. And Qadi Iyad and other great scholars have accepted this as well. And um, we know that when Musa came, the the angel of death came the second time, Musa accepted it. Now that could have been the angel of death came in a different form. Now even if he came in the human form, imagine, right? If you pop somebody's eye out, right? And within moments, they come back to you and their eyes restored. (laughs) Immediately, you're going to say, hang on, this is not human. Even if he didn't have any other signs, okay, he wasn't carrying a banner, or he wasn't wearing a cape of Superman or something, whatever it is. Even if he wasn't carrying any signs, the fact that he came back with a restored eye immediately, after the eyeball coming out, that in itself tells you that this is not a human being. So, he went along with it. He was fine with it. He didn't have any issue about dying. He didn't dislike the idea of death. Yeah, he just made a request that I want to be closer to the holy land of Baitul Mahdis. That's all he mentioned. Um, so, this is the answers of the great scholars. And, um, Imam al-Nawi goes on to mention that. So, the arguments have ended. Just to conclude on Musa requesting to be a stone throw away from the Holy Land. It tells us what we learn from there is the nobility and the virtue of being buried in the land of the pious, in the land of the prophets, in the land of holiness. This actually holds value. If somebody prays for this, somebody strives for this, this is actually something very rewarding to try and to try. It's out of your control. You don't know where you're going to die. But to wish this, to desire this, to try and facilitate this. This is something which is rewarding and recognized in our Sharia, done by Musa salam, and also the hadith of the Prophet is quite profound when he says, whoever can, like how can you die somewhere? Okay, you don't know where you're going to die. But he's saying, Man istata'a. whoever has the ability, if you can't try to die, okay, not kill yourself, but you try and live there, you try and spend your time there, frequent it as much as possible, Because, you know, you never know when you're going to die. So if you can't try and die in Medina, because I'm going to intercede for the people that die in Medina. So over here, if you can't die and pass away in Baytul Maqdis, in the holy land of Palestine, then you should do so because it's a holy place. And uh, he's asking that um, and keeping it general. He said, make me close to it. He didn't say enter me into it. And the scholars of Hadith are of the opinion that the reason he did this is because he didn't want the the whereabouts of his burial to be known that's why he feared that the Bani Israel already gave him so much trouble in his lifetime he didn't want that trouble after he dies as well imagine right if they knew the place they'd be hounding him even in his grave as well so okay they caused him so much inconvenience and people would have fell into fitna and what what not in regards to it so this is the virtue of a bear, being buried in a noble place, blessed place, close to the place where pious people are buried. And on this we will suffice. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. As Muslims, one thing we learn here is as Muslims, it's our duty to wholly, full-heartedly, wholeheartedly accept the Quran and the Sunnah for what it is and not to have doubt and we pray Allah removes our doubts Allah clears our minds Allah opens our chests and Allah gives us the ability to accept the message of Allah and his rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam wa akhiru daawala and alhamdulillah rabbil alamin in next week's session we will speak about the story of yusha bin noon Alayhi salam subhanallahi wa bihamdihi subhanallahu wa bihamdihi subhanallahi la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa